What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Dr. Demiso Jersey with the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. Welcome to yet another episode. On this particular episode, we have a call in all the way down in Clark County, Virginia, middle school principal Evan Robb. Also, he is a TEDx speaker, an author, former English teacher. Um, listen as we talk about how to build capacity in your organization. Also, some tips for parents for getting going back to school. Um, another one for you educators out there who are starting school. Um, hope you have a great school year, and uh, hopefully it starts off to a good note. So sit back and enjoy, and as always, stay empowered. I think that's what school or any type of learning experience is supposed to be. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be, you know, you feeling like you had a good time. Like when you left the gym this morning, you want to feel like you actually done something. Done something. It's the Empowerment Perspective Podcast, hosted by Demiso Josie and Mr. Kareem Spence. Stay empowered. Stay empowered. All right, welcome to yet another episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. I go by the name of Dr. Demiso Josie alongside. Spence is here. How are we doing? Good, sir. Doing well. I can't complain. You can't complain? Are you getting used to the little doctor title? Not really, man. Well, it's still weird because when I have conversations with people, it's completely different now. Especially like, like certain people that would have been cussing me out before, okay. but now they kind of respect the fact, hey, he might know what he's talking about, so I might need to be careful uh, of what I say to him. So uh, I can't complain. It's been it's been a journey. I don't know what to do with myself now. I got all this free time, though. So um, trying to find things here and there. Okay. And, um, you got to do doctor stuff. Doctor stuff. Yeah. What, what, what does that mean? Well, you figure that, you know, you got to hang out with some smart people, you know, get yourself a pipe, you know what I mean, a hat. And walk around and just start giving out random advice. <laughs> like, listen here. Yeah, there you I'm go. A doctor. I'm a doctor. Yeah. I stayed at the Holiday Inn. Go anywhere. I everything. That is too funny. Um, so our last podcast, we had uh, Miss Janie Roberts on. How do you yes. think that went? I think it went well, and, and I'm happy that she decided to join the team. I don't think she knew exactly what it was that she was getting herself into. I think we're going to go into recruiting. I think my next job That's is it. going to go into recruiting. <laughs> Recruit just, people. Yeah, absolutely. Just have people just join stuff and don't even know what they're getting into. <laughs> they're getting into. I don't think she really understands what she is about to get into because, uh, you know, we move a little bit different than everyone else. And, um, you know, uh, she's a phenomenal teacher, obviously, and um, has a voice and that needs to be heard. But everybody that wants to be on this journey mm-hmm. don't really understand. <laughs> I think it's a T-shirt. So I think it's once a t-shirt. I promise him a T-shirt, like, 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 get a T-shirt. Oh, we're good. We're I'm a man. Just give me a T-shirt. That is too funny. So I do have a take a personal story. Okay, um, so on season two, we ended season two with, um, you know, the health and fitness thing. Mm-hmm. So I figured, I said, all right, it's about time for me to get my life together. You know, start <laughs> eating better. I'm going to hit the gym. I want to lose okay. about 15, 20 pounds, you know, and all that stuff. So okay. I broke my rule, went to the gym. And usually when I go to the gym, I don't like anybody talking to me. So I just go in there and put my headphones on thing, whatever. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to take this class. Mm-hmm. Try to go in and I wanted a boxing workout. Mm-hmm. So the guy put me through this assessment, whatever. And he was like, yo, I think you need to take these classes. I was mm-hmm. like, all right, well, I go in there. Today was my first day. I walk up in the peaks. Mm-hmm. It was probably about 10 other people in there. They all knew what they were doing. I didn't know where to stand, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. I should. I, the lady didn't even say, is this anybody's mm-hmm. first time? Can you raise your hand? She, mm-hmm. she just went in. She was like, all right, this is what we're going to do. Let's get started. Mm-hmm. Should I be taking a personal that she didn't take in consideration that I was a rookie at this? You, you, you should. I mean, because this is what our students go through, you know, the first day of school. Yeah. Get thrown right into the fire. Just thrown into the fire, huh? Absolutely. Yeah, you should take it personal. Matter of mm-hmm. fact, 
You should have punched the teacher in the way out. <laughs> I actually thanked her. You know, she, she she worked me out pretty good. My back's on fire right now, but... Um, she had you know? Man, listen, it was a, a full body workout. So, you know, we did a lot of... Uh, it was... For the whole hour, you kept moving. There was only one-minute breaks in between mm. you when you moved to the different uh, stations. Okay. There. And I kind of felt kind of bad because I was with some older women, and they was getting it in. And I'm sitting there sweating. I can't even do half the exercises. <laughs> I, I took it personal. <laughs> I was like, yo, I need a break. I was modifying stuff. They were still <laughs> doing all that other stuff. So we got to get your IEP. That you need and I, need, I need at least a 504 <laughs> in there for, uh, you know, <laughs> to modify my work in, in the gym. So instead of 10 push-ups, you want to do I, listen, I was at some point I was on my knees doing a little hand the knees push up joint because I was girl push ups? Yeah, I was doing the girl push ups, man. She was trying to kill me. Man. So my goal now is to go back in there and finish a complete workout with just, you know. Okay. So I should have paced myself. So that's what I'm talking about. They should have said, look, is this your first time? Let me walk you through this process real quick mm-hmm. so that you don't kill yourself. So the first round I go in them. Going hard, first two ses- uh, stations, and mm-hmm. then you got, that was uh, it. <laughs> it was downhill from there. Mm-hmm. The old lady was telling me, like, come on, come right. on, little whippersnapper. The, yep, the old chicken. Yeah, man, that's it. Yeah, yeah, man. So I had, yeah, I had to <laughs> straighten that's up, bad. fly right. That's, that's, that's bad. <laughs> it's all good, though. Um, so what we do here at Palmer Perspective Group is that we, we reach out to people. We try to talk to as many um, educators and influential people that don't necessarily be educators. But our goal is to simply to give people information that is useful. Um, school is around the corner. Some mm-hmm. of them are, you know, some of our audience, their kids are back already. Mm-hmm. I, I feel sorry for you. Because in a lovely state of New Jersey, we don't go back until, you know, September. Yeah. Um, some of them are already full swing. Um, so I'm still going to hold on to these last couple of days of summer here and, mm-hmm. um, you know, get my mind right. But um, our goal is to prepare parents, um, teachers, um, anybody, you know, for the upcoming school year. Um, and I try, I don't know about you, but I try to get myself mentally prepared. And it just seems like this is the same old stuff over and over again. You know, the meetings and, mm-hmm. you know, the professional development in the beginning. And then it's just like, I, I, I've got to find something new to, to approach the, the school year with. Um, so, um, also a part of our, what we do is that we network with people, Mm -hmm. um, and LinkedIn was a, is a big part of our networking tool. Um, so I was scrolling through one day and I saw this gentleman, um, on there and, you know, I kind of just reached out and was like, Hey, you want to be on this podcast? And he said, yes. So, uh, we figured out a way to make this happen. Um, and he's down in, in Virginia, I believe Clark County, Virginia, former English teacher, I believe. I believe he wrote a book, TEDx speaker. Mm. So we got a lot to talk about today. Okay. So uh, I'm going to. We have a caller in from Virginia. Caller, can you introduce yourself and where you are from and what school you represent? Yeah. Hello. My name is Evan Rob, and I am a middle school principal in Clark County, Virginia. Which, to to give your listeners a little uh, little framework on where that is, we're about 50 miles from Dulles Airport. So close to Northern Virginia, hmm. and, and and I yeah I know and, and uh, so middle school in Virginia is grades six seven and eight a relatively small school four hundred seventy five kids and I've been a principal for quite a few years and uh, certainly love love doing that. So let me ask you this question: Did you feel like when you first got into education, did you like um, middle school is where I'm going to end up? Because I know for me, I did, definitely that was like the last place I thought I would be. 
Are you a, are you a high school teacher or are you middle school too? I'm actually elementary right now. I taught at the high school level. Um, was the vice principal at the middle school level, and then I found myself at the elementary level. Good for you. That's fantastic. Yeah, good question. I I think for I think I probably connected most with middle school kids because as I look back on you know my experience when I went to school, those were the years that. In some cases, I enjoyed the most, and in some cases, I had uh, the most trepidation about and, and wanted to be able to, to be a part and, and to help make that experience, you know, those really formative years for kids to be, to be positive. So that kind of drew me, drew me to uh, middle school. I was a junior high school principal for several years back in the really early 2000s, and I, I certainly enjoyed that also, but... Middle school is definitely where my my passion is. That's awesome. So mm-hmm. um, let's let's start by going back to your journey of when you first got into education. Like, why did you choose to go in, in, into education in the first place? You know, I that, again another really interesting question because I think that people that are drawn into education feel that calling from when they're very very young, and it, and it resonates with them their entire life. My path was a little bit different. Both of my parents were educators. My mother was a teacher, my father was a college professor. So I found that when I was going through elementary school, middle school, high school, and really even into college and grad school, I spent a lot of time trying to push away from that path because I wanted to do something different. Mm -hmm. And when I ended college, I actually went into an MBA program and earned an MBA with a focus in finance. But after earning that degree, somewhat to my parents' chagrin, because there was money involved, obviously, in the degree, I decided that working in the business world was interesting, but it wasn't—it really wasn't for me, and that teaching was. Hmm. So after finishing my MBA, I went back and uh, took the courses for my teaching certification, and I was fortunate enough to get a teaching job in Culpeper, Virginia, which is where I started out, which is about 88 miles away from, from where my home is now. Hmm. That's really interesting. Culpeper, Virginia. I used to have family reunions down in Culpeper, Virginia. Oh, wow. You Maybe see? you guys are cousins. <laughs> you Distant cousins. Know. Distant cousins. So the school year, did you guys start school already? We, no, we have not. Okay. Um, faculty came back this week on Thursday. And, uh, when when do you guys start? Uh, we start next Tuesday. Oh, wow. Okay. So what are some of the things that you do to get prepared for the school year as an administrator? Come well, a you know, I, I think the, the thing, I guess I can rephrase that and say, what are the things that I do that might be actually interesting to people that are listening? Because, uh, you know, a lot of my job at the summertime is getting things in order in terms of the maintenance, of make sure the maintenance of the building is taken care of, making sure that our furniture is up to par the way it needs to be, that our technology is in place making sure that we're using our budget in an effective way when we, in this case, spend out FY19 and start preparing for FY20. Also, uh, time interviewing to make sure that we're bringing the right person on the team. And and that's something over the years that I've found is absolutely critical, that it is very, very important, number one, that, that an administrator, but also the team that they work with have a really clear understanding of who they are and, and what they're about as a faculty. And then make sure that when people are being hired, that people are brought into the building who have some, where you can sense some sort of connection between them and the vision and mission of your school, but also see them as someone that can help take you uh, into a, um, a new and exciting pathway. Mm-hmm. 
No. So yeah, you know, so yeah, that's a lot of the, a lot of the summer work, and and then you know other things that are a little more mundane, such as getting ready for when faculty come back in terms of organizing meetings and making sure that our schedule is correct, is correct and we have good communication with parents. We're starting to uh, kind of strategize about our social media a plan to communicate with families. So all those things happen over the summertime. You know, summertime is a busy time for an administrator, and you know this an administrator. Uh, it's it's um, not always my favorite because you know my favorite time is to be able to be in school with kids and, mm-hmm. and with teachers. So sometimes a lot of the work done in the, in the summertime is kind of it's kind of, kind of alone, not a lot of people in the building. So the work the work does shift a lot in the summertime. It's a great question. Hmm. So real I've fast, never, so I've never been asked that question. Before. <laughs> so you, you said that during the interview process, you you try to make sure that the person is a good fit for the building. How do you make sure that the building is a good fit for that person? Because a lot of times, like when Demisa went to the gym today, you know, they just really didn't care that it was his first day. They encouraged him, but it was like, yo, you need to pick up the pace. Yeah, I, you know, the gym story was, was, a, was a good story. <laughs> he, you know, I, what I think and what, what I see a lot with people, even young people nowadays, is, you know, I'm interested that people, when people come into an interview with me and my team, you know, we're going to interview them, but we expect uh, the candidate to interview us also because we want to make sure that our decision is is correct. You know that we, if we think they're right for us, we want to make sure that they think uh, that we're right for them too. Right. right. You know, and I mean, I'll, I'll give you a really simple example. The and this is a, an oversimplification, but you know, some schools have are very scalar in nature and people staff kind of stay in a pocket and you know, there's a lot of top-down direction on what people are supposed to do or what people are not you know not supposed to do and you know i don't sit in judgment of that i understand that that, that might be good for some people uh, but that's not good for me and, and it's not good in my building you know my goal as an administrator is to create a really really flat organization and uh i've always been of the belief that a building will not run effectively if I or, or I am uh, I have such a degree of hubris that I believe I'm the only instructional leader within the building. You know, I'm interested in building the capacity uh, of everyone in the building. So I like people who are comfortable with a little randomness, who like to be collaborative, who want to be involved in decision making, uh, who want to problem solve. You know, as a team in order to find solutions, and that's absolutely a fit piece. Mm-hmm. Some people just simply aren't wired that way. And, but you know, for my building to be effective, that's the kind of person that I need. Gotcha, gotcha. So, Mr. Petty, you're, you're from the guidance council perspective. How yes, do sir. you go into the school year? Like, what, what what's that perspective? Similar to what we talked about last year, when when school is out, I, I shut down. Mm-hmm. So, um, in this case, the, the rest of the last two weeks of June, we shut down. All of July, we shut down. Mm-hmm. I don't do anything close or even start trying to think about school because you need to take that time off to mm-hmm. be able to refresh. Um, so now I'm, I'm back. We're August now, so now I start looking at videos. Mm-hmm. I start doing uh, research, looking at different schools to see what other schools are doing as far as programming mm-hmm. and even seeing if that is something that I can actually bring into the school mm-hmm. uh, to see if it's even going to work for the kids. Um, I start my, my scholarship research to see what new scholarships are available uh, for kids in middle school mm-hmm. and even in high school. So, um 
so by the time I'm ready to go back, I have something to take back to the school. Hmm. Um, and even trying to figure out what it is that I'm going to say, you know, to my eighth grade when they return. Right. Because that first day is impactful. And if you don't set the tone the first day, that my building be chaos. <laughs> and you already know about the building. So, uh, but you got to set true. the tone day one. And for those that don't have a vision, you, you have to, you know, start preparing them to start thinking about having a vision. Right, right. Yeah, I, I kind of echo the same thing in trying to get myself mentally prepared for the school year. My biggest thing is I, I, I get tired of doing the same old stuff over and over again mm-hmm. you know, um, on some level. Because, I mean, there's there's go-to programs that, you know, I'll, I'll go and try to do. But I'll try to be innovative and, and do a March Madness reading challenge or mm-hmm. try to do a financial literacy thing. Like I'm always trying to find, one, what does the student body need uh, from me and how can I go about making that happen for them outside of the curriculum? Um, I, I just saw on Twitter uh, Manny Scott, who's a, a motivational speaker. He's a, His story was based upon... Um, What's that? The book out in California. Uh, I can't remember it right now. But um, his, his life was made in a movie, and he asked the question, and he was like, "What would if you could build something in your community that's outside of the school? Like, what would you bring to that neighborhood?" And I'm like, "I want to teach them practical things, like how to network, how to um, you know uh, build a business plan, mm-hmm. how to do you know financial literacy, those things." And, and we kind of alluded to this in the last podcast. Like, why don't we teach these things? Uh, bigger scale in mm-hmm. school. Like, why are we still messing around with this uh, curriculum that these kids are not really using? Mm-hmm. What we're, we're teaching them in the real world. Like, it's tough because you know we we have our directors, which is to teach this stuff, mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't lead too much time within the schedule to get to anything else. Before mm-hmm. you know, the school year's over, you're like. You know what? I really did want to teach them about entrepreneur skills. Mm. I didn't really want to teach them about recognizing and understanding their feelings. Mm. Um, and I really did want to get into that cultural competence just for the entire classroom. Mm. The school year's over. Right, right. No right. bonding happened. All we did was, you know, the basic curriculum. Curriculum, right. And that, I mean, it just doesn't lead for enough time. So, I mean, I, I think that at some point in time, we're going to have to restructure education in the way we're trying to uh, raise our children because right. in reality, the schools are actually raising the kids now because right. parents have too much to do. Gotcha. So, Evan, are you doing anything um, outside of the standard curriculum at your school um, to address the, the needs of your student bodies? Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of things. I'm going to go back to the counselor thing and give you a little example. One of the things that my counselors spend time on, I, I have they have a little time after when teachers leave, but innovation is a big focus in my building, and I'm always encouraging people to to, to look at challenges that, that may have existed and find new ways to kind of address them. And I'll give you a really simple example, and this may be true in your all's world too, but we've consistently had some challenges with trying to set up evenings for parent information on, on particular things, such as uh, maybe an opportunity for families to learn about their child in social media. Mm-hmm. And so my, my guidance counselors in the past would set up meetings and we wouldn't really have a big turnout and they'd put a lot of effort into it and feel a little bit distraught. So what we did was we used a Chrome extension on Google called Screencastify mm-hmm. and recorded those meetings through Google Slides and their conversations and put them onto the guidance counselor's website, which is also a Google site. And they have about 10 different um, experiences that parents can tap into 
And the beauty of it is they can access that information anytime and obviously from anywhere in the world. Mm. And that has been really, really helpful in our school and in our community. I'm incredibly proud, obviously, my guidance staff for doing that. Uh, the other thing that that we're working on is we're always, I'm always trying to get my staff to think not only about where we are right now, but you know, what's the trends, what kind of trends will exist over the next five or ten years, and how do we position ourselves to be to be ready for those trends. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of one of the shifts, and this is just my opinion, that, that will happen within school guidance is there'll be an increased focus of the counselors actually working on the health and well-being of the staff um, and not just the children. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we're looking at uh, staff wellness, we're looking at mindfulness, and we're looking at ways to help uh, staff be healthier and feel better so they're more productive with kids. Mm. And, you know, one way that, that's one way that I use LinkedIn also because I'm always reaching out to people from around the world and trying to establish some partnerships. So that's, that's a journey that we're going down. Right. Uh, you know, the second part of your question about education in general is, is big and, and probably beyond the scope of, of, of what I can go into with any, subs- any substance today, but... What I would say is that education in general has not changed radically over the last 100, 125 years. Uh, the system was designed for compliant-based learning. The system was designed for sorting and selecting, and in many cases, uh, fact acquisition. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and part of that is that your business hasn't had the pressure to change. This, I mean, education hasn't had the pressure to change like business. You know, one of the examples, and I think I gave this in my TED talk, is that if you look at images of what a business looked like in the early 20th century, and you looked at images of what a classroom looked like in the early 20th century, uh, it gives you pause because mm-hmm. the classroom doesn't have technology. Of course, it's a black and white image, but in many cases, the kids are sitting in rows in very nice, compliant postures, and the teachers at the front of the room, in that case, with the chalkboard. Right. Uh, and there are a lot of classrooms in America that still look the same. Now, in business, you know, if, if you pull up any picture of what a factory looked like somewhere around 1919, obviously it's radically different than any factory today mm-hmm. because business is forced to be innovative and business has to change. Otherwise, business goes out of business. Mm-hmm. So there, there's more there's more pressure and drive to be innovative, I believe. This is my opinion within the business world than in education. I think that education can take a look at some of that and try to bring some of that innovative thinking into our field. It would right. be good. Uh, you know, I think that in regards to facts and fact acquisition, you know, I think that we have to take a good look at that because you know, when you start looking at what are the skills that we want kids to have when they enter the workforce, and I think that's an important thing to look at uh, you know, for all schools, not just high school. I think that trickles down to middle and elementary school. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see uh, memorization of facts as the number one skill. Right. You're going to see things like problem solving, right. uh, create, creative thinking. Um, mm. So then the question is, you know, how do you start integrating those elements into into a curriculum? Because kids are not, just like in a history class as an example, kids are not necessarily going to remember the particular facts of the Battle of Waterloo, you know, three years after they take the course. Right. But they can, they can carry with them some of the inquiry skills, some of the problem-solving skills that a history teacher teaches them and apply them to other things that they're doing, you know, hopefully sometimes in new and novel ways. Hmm. Right. So I want to make this practical for our non-educational uh, audience is that um, take something like going to the gym, for example. 
um, you're really not you're preparing for tomorrow. You're mm-hmm. not really preparing for it right now. So when we talk about innovation and ed- and education and things need to be changed in education, it's 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 for these kids future for the you know the the job markets or the things that they're going to go into it does not look like anything that is traditional about education so mm-hmm. education has to has to change in order to prepare these kids for uh the real world and i say this all the time I, and i try to tell some of these parents i said what we're teaching them in school isn't real life you know mm-hmm. you know the basis of it unless we're starting to get into some of those innovation innovative things and and things of that nature um, for example, when I think I brought this up at the last podcast, it was like, well, it, if a teacher, if I got something wrong and I failed a test, nine times out of ten, a lot of these teachers won't let you retake that test. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in life, you could fail a thousand times mm-hmm. and people keep giving you more and more opportunities. So mm-hmm. I think just to make it a little bit more practical, we need to look at education in terms of and really, truly mirror what's happening in, in society. Society is completely different than when education, you know, back in the day when, you know, it was mandatory for, well, it still is mandatory, mm-hmm. but the, the rules and all that other stuff, um, the way that they just structured education back then. So I, I'm a little bit disgusted with You're the current disgusted. state of, of education. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how does walking in a straight line helps kids. I still don't understand that. <laughs> yeah. From the time they walk into the building, from the time they leave, no, we need you to walk in a straight, straight line. line. No on way. the right side. <laughs> on the right side, yes. You walk in New York, you try walking a straight line and see what happens to you. <laughs> it puts you in the street. Yeah, that's too funny. So you mentioned that you um, spoke at uh, TED Talks. How did that come about? Uh, that came about from a connection that I made through social media several years ago um, with um, with some people, and then I was contacted. There's really two ways to to get a TED a TEDx experience. One is to apply for it, and the other is, is to be asked to actually speak at an event. So mm-hmm. I was fortunate to be asked to be in the event, and I would say it was a really fun experience. It, it's very very hard to do. Hmm. It requires a lot of practice. Hmm. Interesting. But, but you know, the one thing the one thing I can share about that should you gentlemen or, or anyone that you know get asked to do it, you know, I always encourage people to you know to say yes. You know, even though something may be scary or daunting, you know, you'll you'll be better if you give something a try. But when it comes to a topic, the best topic is always the one topic that everyone knows absolutely knows the best hmm. so it's their it's it's your story right you know and so you know your story better than anyone else so you know you uh you tell your story and ted is a really good platform to be able to do that uh, you know my talk is all about change you know i i go into grading in my talk and you know certainly share my opinions that sound like they're rather consistent with yours hmm. you know i think that uh, you know i guess the simple example and, and this i want to make this broader for your audience is that if you and i are both taking a we want to be cpas and you pass the cpa exam on the first time but i pass it on the fifth time we're both still cpas mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes the just uh, sheer audacity of someone to believe that they're preparing someone for the real world or that uh, there's so much sanctity in a quiz that a student can't redo doesn't make any sense you know i will never stand in the way of a student that wants to better themselves and i think that the there are significant problems with grading in education all over the place from it being used as a control mechanism to it being used uh, to sort and select kids which which doesn't make any sense whatsoever Hmm. Uh, um, 
you know, and, and it also gets used in a bad way with, with averaging. You know, so you, know, you have a student that that does really poorly at the beginning of the unit, but at the end of the unit, you know, there's this big test and it covers everything that they learned in the unit and the student does really well, you know, but if you put in the average where the kid didn't do well at the beginning of the unit, the grade doesn't really predict what they know. Mm. And that happens all over. You know, there's a lot of good research on that. And my experience with grading is, it's, I, my experience at really after being in education for a long time is I don't necessarily think that people go about trying to be bad graders. Mm. I think that it just doesn't get taught a lot in college. People tend to grade the way that they were taught mm. or the way that, you know, someone who's a friend of theirs kind of does it. And sometimes that can be a good thing, you know, and sometimes it's not. I will say that almost every educator I've met thinks they grade better than everyone else. <laughs> Interesting. So actually you're, you're talking about someone looking at a student and finding their worth. Hmm. Not even basing everything that may be going on outside of school and all the, you know, the, let's say, trauma that may be occurring inside a house. So you come to school, let's say it's Monday, and you had a rough weekend. Friday comes, you know, and things are a lot easier, and you do a lot well, or I should say better academically. Um, but Monday was a test, and I'm not going to let you retake it, regardless of what happened in your house. Hmm. Yeah, that, oh, I will tell you that that is not acceptable to me at all. Hmm. You know, and it brings up bigger issues about homework and the equity of homework. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, my kids, when I grew up, when I raised, my wife and I raised my children, they were very lucky. You know, they came home to a very stable household, husband and wife, and, I, and we were both very capable of helping them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other kids aren't as fortunate, and, you know, and, and that's not something you choose when you're a kid. It's just kind of the luck of the draw. Right. But, but sometimes homework assignments can really, really disadvantage kids that don't have... Uh, because the kids don't have the uh, equivalent support networks at all. Absolutely. And again, when, you, when you're talking about grading a person, you know, are you really grading the entire child or are you just grading from six hours that you actually see them? Because again, depending on what's going on at home, that have a tremendous impact on how much I'm actually going to learn, how much I'm going to yeah. pick up. Absolutely. You, you know, I mean, when, you know, you have some, you have some, some children, unfortunately, who are, going home to uh, homes that are um, are very um, challenging for them to be in. Uh, you know, their ability to study for the spelling test or the, uh, you know, something the next day may not be really high if, if a home is is, uh, is radically different than the home that I described my children were raised in. Mm. And I think, yeah, I think those things do need to be considered, absolutely. Is it me or is it just that I feel like educators are now just starting to talk about stuff outside of school that affects these kids like these kids kids been having these problems for years and years and years but i just Mm -hmm. feel like now in the conversation with the social emotional learning and all this stuff like we're supposed to be in a field that's supposed to be about people and the human side of things like why is this like i feel like it's a new topic now like why are we just discovering it right now i don't think it's a new topic i'm just well i think that what's happening is that the school systems are getting sued Mm mm-hmm and now we need to do something about it because we're not addressing the whole job. Hmm. So it was a, um, a lawsuit that took place in California, mainly about some kids that um, grew up in Compton. Hmm. And when they 
talk to the kids. You know, the kids had all type of traumatic experiences as far as gang involvement and, and, and shootings and things that happened inside the home. And they, they realized that they were wrong hmm. and they should have been offering these kids accommodations um, because of the traumatic experiences that they had to go through to and from school every single day. Hmm. Interesting. So, I mean, what advice would you give parents this time of the school or the time of the year getting ready to go to school? Um, how can they, how can uh, I guess they prepare their kids for this upcoming school year to set them up for success? Well, you, you know, I, I think in terms of themselves first as parents, you know, I always encourage parents to be connected with schools. And um, and I always encourage people, especially, you know, and, and I'm a good example of this. You know, school isn't always great for me. So. You know, I, I have felt that, that feeling at times of you know, not wanting to be connected when my kids were in school because it really wasn't good for me. But I encourage people to kind of move past that and give a place a shot to, you know, to see if you can build those kind of connections. Hmm. Now, for parents, one of the things that, that I always like to encourage parents is, uh, is help your kids find good books and encourage them to read. Our children today have many, many things that compete with their free time. And uh, again, I I don't want to get heavy into research, but you gentlemen know as educators, there is a lot of research that supports the benefits of kids reading in terms of improving their uh, vocabulary acquisition and their comprehension as they move through time. Mm. And I I encourage parents to read with their kids. Mm. You know, it's, it's a good thing at night to read to your children if they're very young but also have some designated time in the evening where everyone's reading, hopefully, a really good book. <laughs> right. I'll change the so topic. It sound, you know, it sounds kind of simple, but, but that's that's a really, really good piece of advice that that can really improve things for, for all children. Now, quick question. Change the topic real fast. Um, do you intimidate, like, teachers when you go in for parent-teacher conference? <laughs> They're like, okay, principal such-and-such is coming, so we got to make sure that we have everything in order. Do you intimidate teachers? <laughs> He's not going to admit to that if he doesn't. I can't. I can't hear you. I can't hear your question. Oh, my question was: When you go in for parent-teacher conference night, as a parent, do you intimidate the teachers, the classroom teachers that are teaching you, or have taught your kids? Oh, as a as him as a yeah. parent. Oh, yeah. I well, definitely. You know, I mean, I mean, I, I that's a, that's an interesting question. I mean, what I what I, what I can say. Is, my intentionality was always to go in as uh, in a collegial way and in a way that is where I seek to understand and uh, and uh, and I seek to listen. Hmm. Uh, I have no interest whatsoever in using my positional authority to make anyone. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I don't believe you at all. Uh, well, well, you, you, I guess you'll have to make your own choice. Listen, if it makes you feel better, Kareem, I'm uh, petty like that. So I s- I'll send the email out to my daughter's teachers with my little signature at the bottom up so they know who they're talking to. So you're not going to pull one over up. <laughs> not that I use it. They just need to know. They, they go, I just need to see the grade book. No, open up the grade book. I need to see how you're grading. I mean, what, what, here, what, I, what I can tell you is, um, uh, you know, some of the teaching, and this is going way back in time, because I think I'm older than you guys, but some of the teaching that I experienced when I was in school, I, I would be less supportive of if my children were experiencing it. And uh, you know, 
So the example would be the, the old school sort of history class that was nothing but lecture, hmm. where kids had to write down notes and every Friday they take the test and you know your grade is somewhere along the continuum and whether you learn it or not, you just keep moving on. Hmm. And uh, that, although very simple, is a, a very clear descriptor of how a lot of people experienced education throughout the 20th century and still now unfortunately some places you made me think of something I, I have a thought too now <laughs> how, what's, what's your take on when teachers throw a, a stapler at you what's your take on that <laughs> fourth grade well, that, you sound like it was a personal it experience. was uh. it, it was fourth grade threw a stapler at me not the little staples the whole entire stapler you shouldn't have been acting up in class I should have been acting up. You shouldn't have been acting up. He needed better classroom management. We were <laughs> terrorists. So we go around, we do a lot of conferences, we speak in front of a lot of teachers, and, and I've been to a lot of conferences, and it blows my mind that these speakers will sit there and just talk at this audience mm-hmm. for like an hour to educators when we are telling them that this is not the best mm-hmm. way to learn. So when you come to one of our sessions, it's a little bit more interactive. We get the crowd involved and, mm-hmm. you know, people are participating like a, a normal classroom, you know, should go. We kind of try to model that with them. I did, The thought just came across my mind. I'm like, all oh, these speakers that I've seen, like, they just sitting up there talking. PowerPoint style. Yeah. PowerPoint, take the notes down. And then people, some, some of them will walk out and be like, it was a great, you know, session. But nine times out of ten, they walk out of our session it's like, that was really that was, and I think that's what school or any type of learning experience is supposed to be. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be, you know, you feeling like you had a good time. Like when you left the gym this morning, you want to feel like you actually done something. Yeah, they destroyed my back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I feel good. And so then when a kid when comes, go ahead. One of the things that I would say, uh, you know, because I, I, you know, I certainly experienced uh, the conference example that you're talking to, uh, and I think the other way that it exists in education is. Yes, there are times when administrators will uh, articulate that they want classrooms to be very engaging. You know, they want uh, non-traditional seating. They want a lot of student empowerment. But faculty meetings will be mm. very, very different. You know, mm-hmm. it'll be uh, just kind of sitting in and hearing the information. So one of the things that I certainly like to challenge administrators is, you know, make sure that you are modeling when you're working with your staff in a faculty meeting, as an example, the the types of learning that you want to see in the classroom. So you gentlemen are talking about getting people engaged. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. People, human beings learn when they have opportunities to communicate and collaborate. And Mm -hmm. learning is not necessarily a a totally solo experience. No, I think um, learning is more of a a group experience, whereas though you can actually learn from each other. Learning should never be isolated. I mean, we learn better in groups. So I can, you know, get information from you. You get information from me, you know, and then we exchange ideas. Absolutely. So you've never experienced nobody throwing a stapler at you? You never did answer that question on your take on Uh, that. You asked that question to me? Yeah. What's what's your take on, you know, teachers throwing staplers? Yeah. No, that was not. There's no go? Now. Because you've been in education for a long time. Can I actually sue the district that allowed the teacher to throw a staple at me? I need money. That's where I'm actually going with this conversation. I need money. 
everyone else is always, you know, suing the district and, and winning. Um, and I can't find a reason that I can actually sue somebody for something. I'm looking for extra money so this, this empowerment perspective we can take <laughs> off. And we can have, like, office space so we don't have delivery guys ringing the doorbell in the middle of a podcast. Listen, the statute of limitations is up for that. <laughs> that happened, like, 40 years ago. You need to just let that yeah. one go. I, I'm petty. I'm, I don't let anything go at all. That's crazy. So, um, is it correct that you have a book out? I have um, two books out. No, oh, let's talk about them. What are they? Uh, I have a book with Corwin. Really? The, yeah, that was just published in the very beginning of June called The 10-Minute Principle. And I have a book with Burgess Publishing that was published uh, July 31st called Team Makers. Hmm. And... Uh, Tabitha Principle is a book about thinking differently about how time is used in the building in order to have more time to, uh, to work with teachers and have more of an impact uh, instructionally within a building. You know, one of the things that I find, podcasts probably see this too, is the biggest excuse that I typically encounter from anyone about why something isn't done is because there's not enough time to do it. Hmm. And so that the book gets people thinking differently about time, but it also allows people to use the book as a resource so you don't have to read that book cover to cover uh, and I have podcast uh, QR, QR codes embedded into the book so you can access different podcasts where I kind of further talk about the subject hmm. now my book with Burgess Publishing is called Team Makers that's a book that I co-wrote with my mother Laura Rob she's a little more prolific in the writing world than I am uh, but that book is all about how groups can collaborate within a school system a school division to better impact change for kids, you know? And, and this probably is not inconsistent from, I think what you all would agree with, is that uh, everything in education, or, and actually everything in your life, is designed to give you exactly what you get. Hmm. So if you want to get a different result, you need to do something different. different so right. I'll go back to your to your gym example. You know, if, you're re- if your goal is to get into better shape, I mean, I don't, I know a lot about that, but let's say, you know, you want to make your arms bigger, uh, but your workout is not doing that. Mm. Then repeating the same workout all the, all the time is not going to get your arms any bigger. Mm. You'll need to do something different. And so the same thing is it's kind of like systems thinking kind of orientation, you know, applies to school systems. So things in school systems that may not work well, the first thing is an honest discussion and um, hopefully, um, willingness to look at some things that aren't working and then look at some different ways to do things to get a different result hmm. yes. and so that's that's the focus of that book so i'm you know i'm excited it's a lot of work to write a book yeah. but yeah but I, it's been good i think that's a huge piece in life in general i think people aren't where they want to be um you know in terms of success or anything because they're so used to being comfortable they're afraid to try um, something different and try that different activity because it's, it's uncomfortable to them. Mm-hmm. So they want to stay well, in their, their comfort zone. It is, you know, and so, the, and then, so that brings up a bigger discussion of, you know, is that someone's personal choice or is that because of the culture of the organization that won't allow people to do that? So, you know, if people work in, in a school or a business where there's tremendous fear of reprisal if they try something new and fail at it they're not going to try something new hmm. but 
other people will simply repeat the same thing over and over again, expecting to get a different result. And that doesn't work either. Um, in fact, that, that's a fairly good, good uh, definition of what insanity is, if you look it up in Webster's Dictionary. Re- repeating the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. But if you think about that, like you kind of repeat that over to yourself, that happens an awful lot in education. Mm. I mean, what I would say is that if, if kids are not doing well in a particular class, however you define doing well, so let's say it's like they're not doing well in a state assessment. I can't guarantee a lot, but what I can guarantee is that if, if the teaching and the instruction is exactly the same the next year, we'd probably be in the same spot. Right. You got to do true. something different. Yeah, do something but then, different. You know, but then, you know, the, then the question is, is, is the teacher empowered or or encouraged to try to do something different because trying to do something different is a lot different than being made to do something different right one speaks about it you know from you know the mindset of a compliant based organization you know authoritarian and the other is empowering they're very very different this is true this is true um so let me ask this now i'm in the process of writing um a book as well I think it's been about a year since I've made the announcement that I'm going to write a book. Uh, and I haven't got page one. So for those that are seeking to write a book, how did you get page? How do you get past page one? What's, like, what's the process uh, you know, for you? First, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can only give you my journey. You know, my, I, uh, you know, I, I, I applied you know, with Corwin. You know, they have a book proposal uh, link on their website. And uh, you have to propose your book and then see if it gets accepted. Same thing with Burgess Publishing through that route. And then what, what I find is I need to make an extremely structured and detailed outline of what the book is going to be. And then I need to, because that helps me, otherwise I just I can get lost with not getting my thinking down tight enough to sequentially organize the book. Uh, but then comes the discipline of, of writing a book, which mm-hmm. is you have to write. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people that are about to write a book. I know a lot of people that when I write a book, they say, you wrote the book I was going to write, which I kind of find a little bit... <laughs> yeah, that doesn't necessarily make me feel good. But, you know, for me, I, I would say it's not a lot different than trying to get fit. So, like, if you want to get fit, you got to work out 30 to 60 minutes at least mm-hmm. four or five times a week. But... You're not going to get fit if you work out three hours one day a week. Hmm. And with writing, you need to set aside time and you need to write. And the hard part about that is that requires some discipline and some rhythm built into your day because I'm no different than anyone else. I mean, there are times when I feel more like writing than other times. But I find that I just need to say, okay, six days a week, you know, for an hour and a half every evening. You know, it's, I used to watch TV from eight to nine thirty. I'm going to write from eight to nine thirty, right. and you'll be you'll be amazed how much you can produce if you build that rhythm into your day. One it the, is the only way to do it. One of the tactics that I, when I wrote my book, is I found myself being the most creative when I'm driving. So what I would do, especially I had the 45 minute drive to work at Hilton mm. Township, um, what I would do is just simply record myself, and I would just talk into you know my phone at the time and that's where all my thoughts came out so when it came time to actually writing it my ideas were already out there so i just had to just put it in into you know written form but i try to just find 
if I need, if I'm writing something, even with my dissertation, I would drive around the neighborhood and just talk to myself. Um, that's, that's creepy. <laughs> it's, it's creepy, but that's the process that, <laughs> that I went through. Yeah, there's nothing, it's not like there's any one way, hmm. but what, what there is, and I think you would agree, is that you just kind of find your way and you have to be consistent with it. Right, right. Because otherwise it's just not going to get written. I mean, you know, there, my experience is, you know, I, 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 throughout my life I meet, I've met a lot of people who are on the verge of almost being there. Hmm. And, uh, and that's okay. You know, some people are happy that way, but it's not good for me. Um, so I need to make sure that if I take on something that I've, I find the way for me uh, that allows me to complete it. And, uh, and so, you know, I mean, writing has been, has been fun for me. You know, it's not something that I never considered myself and I still don't consider myself a great writer. Hmm. But, but just like anything else in life, or just like you, we would all want to teach children, uh, you'll be surprised how good you get at something if you practice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if you practice with intentionality, it's like I always talk, like talk to kids about like the coaching kind of analogy. You know, whether it's football or basketball, but you know, practice is good. But you know, intentional practice with really good coaching, where there's good, positive, specific praise given along the way, and good feedback, that will help uh, people develop to as good as they can be. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so before we um, wrap up this podcast, where, where can people find your book if they're looking for it? I appreciate you asking that. Thank you. Um, on Amazon is the easiest way to find everything that I write. You would just type in my name, Evan, E-V-A-N, Rob, R-O-B-B, and my Corwin book is there, and my my book with um, Burgess Publishing Team Makers is there, and also a book I wrote for Scholastic in 2007. Um, called the Principles Leadership Sourcebook. That's there also. Gotcha, gotcha. One of the things that we're working on is in the development stages, really, really mental development stages with the Palmer Perspective Group is having our own conference. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to put you on a spot and ask if, if, if you're willing, would you be willing to uh, present at one of our conferences sometime in the future? I would say that, you know, um, I'm always willing to be able to share my message and want to connect, you know, uh, as you gentlemen know, I need to know a little more details about where it is and when it's going to be and all those kind of things. Right. But, you know, I'm, I'm please know that I'm always willing uh, to connect, and I like connecting with like-minded educators uh, and clearly feel uh, feel that connection here today. Awesome, awesome. Anything Absolutely. anything additional, Mr. Mr. Petty? Well, being as though we're in our third season, um, we, we really need to know, um, Evan, if you're petty. I know I am. Yeah, I saw that was a question that, that, that you all ask. <laughs> the uh, no. See, the, again, I can't, <laughs> I, I can't accept that answer only because you in education, you have to be petty about something. Well, um, I can say that when I was younger, I probably would be at times. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what I would say, and this kind of comes with getting getting older is uh, sometimes as you develop as a leader you need to make decisions whether you want to put your time words and effort on things that are petty or you want to start talking about ideas and change and if 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 educators spend too much time talking about petty the changes that you guys have talked about will never happen Um, so you know there is a discipline also to thinking talking and um, helping people see things different Hmm. So that's where I put my time. Here's that's what I got I'm out of this. There's hope for you. <laughs> you will eventually grow out of being petty. I doubt it. It's coming. Well, here's the yes, other thing. I would agree with 
<laughs> I, here's the other thing. If, if I'm not petty, there's certain doors that this won't be opened. <laughs> so I have to remain at the, <laughs> at the prime. This is the prime peak petty years right now for me. It's <laughs> how things funny. get done. That is funny. <laughs> well, Evan, we definitely appreciate you uh, calling in and taking your time out on this beautiful Saturday. So we don't want to take up more of your time so you can go out and enjoy your weather and family and things. And, um, you know, definitely appreciate you reaching out or connecting with us and, and agreeing to be on our podcast. And um, I think our audience got some really good information um, for it from you. And um, we'll definitely plug your your books mm-hmm. and um, make sure that we get that to our audience as well. And, uh, you know, we wish you the best in terms of your school year. Um, we're all like I said, we're in the business of shaping and changing lives. And I definitely appreciate anybody that's willing to give themselves up for that call. So we definitely um, appreciate you and the things that you do. Well, you know, please let me say right back at you gentlemen, you know, uh, taking time to run a podcast. You know, it's not easy. Podcast requires some work. It's not like you just turn on a microphone and poof, you have a podcast. Um, But I always always appreciate people that are interested in expanding their thinking and also interested in sharing their ideas. So, and the other thing that's, that, that's nice for me is, you know, I, we've never met within you know, the physical realm, but you know, we've met on LinkedIn. And social media continues to be a really interesting way for me, and I think you guys would agree with us, to be able to meet people and to be able to make connections and be able to find commonalities and, you know, and, and share our stories. And uh, so love doing that. Wish you guys the absolute best for your upcoming school year. When, uh, when your book is out, which I'm sure will happen, you'll reach out to me because you know, I'll certainly want to read your book and, <laughs> and be able to share that too. Yes, sir. Absolutely, guys. Right. So listen, enjoy your Saturday. Thank you so much. And uh, you, know where, you know how to reach me? Yes, sir. So look forward to connecting more in the future. All right, All right sir. Thank you. Take care. Thank you, gentlemen. Bye-bye. That was uh, Evan Robb down there in Clark County, Virginia. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. He said about the podcast, he said it takes like work it's not like you turn the camera on and um, plug the microphones I'm like yo no that's exactly what we do yeah from your perspective that's exactly (laughs) how it works you turn the camera on I was up (laughs) 7 o'clock this morning editing and posting stuff this morning so I know it's all good though but um, you know it's it it keeps I ain't gonna say blowing my mind, but it's, it's refreshing to know there's like-minded individuals mm-hmm. out there, and um, I can't stress this enough. And this is something that we pride ourselves on: is the ability to network with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I said, I didn't know that guy from anything, mm-hmm. and you know, once you start having conversations with people and you start finding some commonalities, and then you know, seeing value in people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was one of the things I would love to teach young people, or I'm trying to teach my daughters now, is the fact that you need to learn learn how to network. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot it's large part of what we do in education I would say 95% of it is about relationship building mm-hmm. um, so uh, you need to be able to relate to not only kids but you know people that are out there that mm-hmm. you know have stuff to offer so uh, make sure you reach out if you find something that's interesting or something you know you don't know everything I'm a learner so I'll just try to talk to everybody mm-hmm. um, that I possibly can um, so networking is huge absolutely and again I, I appreciate them giving up his Saturday because uh, he could have been doing anything else instead of, you know, being on the phone, you know, discussing, you know, education with us, even though he's been doing education Monday through Friday mm-hmm. already this week. So, um, but networking is huge, and this, this is how we get stuff done in the global economy. So, um, the better you are at being able to, you know, connect with other people, um, 
the more options and opportunities you're going to have down the road. So absolutely, absolutely. So uh, we're gonna wrap this one up. Uh, episode three uh, of season three. Uh, got some more things in store coming. Obviously, from the power perspective group got some authors that are going to come on and some other people um that we're going to reach out to and i, I believe we're going to hit the road at some point i think we talked about that yes um, heading yes, down yes. south we went west last time we're going to yes. go down south this time um and hit up north carolina uh, yes so make sure that you uh, are ready uh, shout out to north carolina i think you're our third largest state right now uh, mm-hmm. we gotta get those numbers up so that's why we part of the reason why we're going down to north carolina but we have some interesting people down there mm-hmm. um as well so we will be hitting the road soon i think that's in november uh, making sure that we uh continue the work that we're doing and mm-hmm. um, don't forget our financial literacy program is available uh, make sure you check out our website, empowermentperspective.com. Um, we have financial literacy for middle school and high school students because uh, it's important to teach kids about money. Mm-hmm. I wish somebody did that when I was young. I wouldn't be so broke right now. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no, because even though I have that little financial literacy piece, and I'm still spending money like it's water. So mm. it's <laughs> Any last words, sir, before we get out of here? Well, it's new year, new school year coming up. Um, just make sure you embrace your pettiness. Embrace Sweet. your pettiness. Okay, embrace it. It's okay to be petty. You know, uh, make sure you check minutes, out our apparel too online too. We have got some uh, embrace your pettiness t-shirts, yeah, embrace petty your mug, yeah, all that stuff. Um, yeah, I'm gonna get a petty mug and make sure I put it right here, <laughs> right in front of the camera. And just and be petty. Be absolutely. Petty. <laughs> all right. Till next time. Stay in power. Yes, sir.